Welcome to the Shockwave Therapy Podcast. My name is James Woolwich, Osteopath and Clinical Director at the Abbeyfields Clinic in Suffolk. We will be trying to demystify the concept of shockwave treatment whilst bringing together experts in their field to discuss the latest research. If you are deciding on whether to add this modality into your clinic or just improve the way you deliver it, then we hope this is the podcast for you. Welcome to episode two. Today we are joined by Cliff Eaton, a physiotherapist uh, with a master's degree in sports injury management. He's also clinical specialist at DJO Global, uh, one of the most experienced teachers of shockwave, certainly that I know of in this country and probably through Europe. He was the person that got me started on this journey. There's not many people that know more about the details uh, of shockwave in terms of the mechanisms, the actions and so forth. So we're really, really privileged to have him talk with us today. So welcome, Cliff. Thanks for joining us today. Um, this is the second podcast that we're doing on um, on shockwave therapy. And I was really keen to have you come on because uh, I know that when you, you initially taught me nearly five years ago, um, the way that you get the information across, which can be somewhat complex, is, is really easy to understand. So a lot of people get bamboozled by by what's out there at the moment with Shockwave because it's become a new fashion almost that everyone wants to jump on board with. But uh, So the, the main aim today for me would be to, to clear up some of the, um, the rumours and to just be a bit more concise about the evidence base and what conditions we're going to be using it for. So can you, can you just kick off, can you just give us a, a brief history of, of, of Shockwave in, in MSK? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, thank thank you much for, for the for the introduction. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a simple soul, so I, I need to have a clear understanding in my own head in order that I can be able to teach to 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 other people so they can understand. But um, yeah, shock shock wave um, the, the, the the destructive force of shock waves. We really. Um, came to the fore during the two um, um, world wars, um, where service people were, were were found dead with no um, apparent external injuries, and they found on autopsy that their their lungs had been badly damaged by uh, by um, compression waves from um, the bombs that had been been dropped and explosions near them, um, and. Then in Germany during the 1960s, they started to hypothesize about how they could harness this energy for for um, therapeutic use and started animal trials in um, a hospital in, in Munich during the 1970s, um, looking at how they could focus um, this shockwave energy to disintegrate kidney stones. And in 1980, we had our first successful um, human treatment using focus shockwave to break down a kidney stone. And, and um, this, this is now known as lithotripsy. Um, and as you're in lithotripsy, they, they also considered um, lower urinary tract um, um, stones, um, but concerned about... Um, potential damage to to bone and soft tissue they lowered the energy um, and as an incidental finding they actually found that they were getting increased bone density and promoted tissue healing in the area so that sort of led to um, lower energy focus shot wave being used to treat musculoskeletal conditions 
um, and you'll find the first sort of papers um, in 1991 using focus shot wave um, to treat um, skin wounds and, and, and pig skin. And around about the same sort of time, we um, started to find papers for using focus shot wave for non-union fractures. Now, the interesting thing um, with non-union fractures um, is it's now, focus shot waves now commonly used for that. In fact, in Aus Austria, it's now the first choice of modality because they're getting better outcomes than they are with surgery and um, it's, it's a lot, lot cheaper. Yeah. I, I mean, funnily enough, I just, I've just treated a, a motocross rider with a non-union tibia and, uh, yeah. and that, that was with the consent from his surgeon who said, look, you know, if we can do anything else apart from going in again and... Uh, Operating, then, then great. He's he's currently. This is his first week back on the bike. Actually, I'm waiting for his CAT scans to come back to see the the actual change. But it's looking very promising with the focus yeah. shockwave. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I treated a, a downhill skier with a non-union tibia fracture, and um, after um, three or four four weeks, we're told to stop because it was actually producing too much callus. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite, quite, quite interesting, yeah. But then, so, so, uh, I mean, obviously, then over the coming coming years, more and more applications for focused um, shockwave work were, were trialled over for a variety of musculoskeletal conditions, cardiac and um, urological pathologies. Um, and um, what happens with focus shockwave is is we produce a, a shockwave energy that accumulates deep into the tissue to a small focal point. Um, and around around about the turn of the century, musculoskeletal therapists asked whether it would be possible to produce a shockwave that could be used more superficially and treat over a, over a larger area. And, and again, in, in, in Germany, they devised a a device that produces energy at the skin and radiates out into the tissue and so this was marketed as radial shockwave mm. so, so in, 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 the, in the marketplace then we had these um, two shockwaves focus shockwave and radial shockwave this is where this is where you, this is where it starts to confuse people doesn't it which is you're, you're going to add that excellent um, ability <laughs> to get complex things across Cliff. So well, that was going to jump onto the third or fourth questions, but while we're on the subject, why don't we just tackle it now? So yeah. what, 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 what do we think is the, for the average user out there in terms of um, the two types? Can you just go through that a little bit more about what, what we should be looking at and what conditions and why there is a difference between the two? Okay, yeah. So um, this is an interesting debate. The purest um, shockwave therapist will always tell you to use focus shockwaves that, that, that that is um, um, produces a true shockwave, and and the majority of evidence supports it for um, treating chronic tendinopathies. Um, and it's been around a lot longer than than, than radial. Um, I'm going to say radial pressure wave, and I'll explain to you, yeah, to yeah, you yeah, a sure. little bit later. But I just want to get that terminology across to everybody. But um, there's certainly a larger quantity of of evidence for focus shockwave compared to radial pressure wave. Um, um, Kathy Speed, a consultant rheumatologist um, from Adambrook's, um, uni um, Adambrook's Hospital in, in, in the UK, and she also works in London, um, she's written um, 
um, two systemic reviews, one in 2004 and one in, uh, she updated in 2014. Um, and, 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 and she stated about the quality of evidence for focus shockwave um, being better than um, um, for radial pressure wave, pointing out the fact that she could only find one class one RCT to support the effectiveness of radial pressure wave for plantar fasciitis. Now that said, um, her inclusion criteria were very, very strict. And in her search engine, she didn't use the term of radial pressure wave or extracorporeal um, activation therapy or acoustic um, um, wave therapy. These, these are the terms which I'll explain later. Um, so that then put a heavy bias on, on her search towards um, focus shock wave literature. So, Okay. Okay, but the biological effects of extracorporeal shockwave and tendinopathies is to artificially produce mechanotransduction. Now, mechanotransduction is the mechanism by which cells sense mechanical signals and adopt a a um, biochemical activity which influences cell uh, migration, proliferation, differation, and um, apoptosis. Which is, which is, I mean, it's interesting that that you describe it like that because you're one of the few that do and I think that's actually really helpful because I as you know I do a bit of teaching myself and I I struck upon this from what you'd sent me some details on and um, it seems to it seems to strike a much easier chord with people in the audience when you describe it like that particularly with physios back in the day that we used to using lots of deep friction and so forth which actually even I was taught which is you know whatever we do as, 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 as manual therapists we are inputting mechanical energy into the tissue and it's the body's response to that that creates the healing or whatever else we want to call it and i think it's the same when i was explaining it last weekend that mechanic mechanotransduction is no different from the force traveling up the leg which creates new trabeculae to form so it it forces osteoblasts to basically produce in a particular line of force subject to the the piezoelectric forces subject to you know weight bearing which i think actually is really useful because it's become a little bit mystical as to what shockwave does but if we really pare it down to that that gives us a really nice grasp of what we're trying to achieve with it yeah and and, and for those clinicians um who um um integrate exercise um therapy into in, into their patient management um mechanical transduction is a normal a normal function of a tendon mm. especially in 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 the, in the achilles and when they're doing their exercises they're, they're putting load through a tendon and that that mechanical load is picked up actually by little protein messengers called intragons, which are in the cell membrane, and they communicate this the, the, the pressure, uh, uh, the tension and shear forces which occur in the extracellular matrix, and they convey that information to the nucleus of, of the cell, and the cell adapts its behaviour. Yeah. So, so, so we adapt naturally to mechanical loads. And what we're doing with shockwave is is producing an artificial mechanical load through the tendon. Yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's a great point because the other thing that uh, if you can just touch on. So we go back to this. This why don't we tackle the terminologies if we can before we move on to some of the, the other ways in which shockwave works. Go through. Yeah. The, can you can just go through the radial pressure wave as opposed to a yeah. shockwave again and why that's now. Because I've read in the lit, the literature is, is is getting there now. It's catching up with this fact that we should be differentiating between the two types. So can you just say why why that is? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the International Inventorist Society are trying to encourage authors now to write about focus, um, shockwave therapy and radial pressure wave. Um, so there are two different methods to provide extracorporeal shockwave therapy. Um, so extracorporeal simply means outside of the body. And, and, I, and I don't know of one clinician, including you or I, that have ever used it internally or intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, but, but there we are. Um, uh, so then you have uh, so focused shockwave therapy, or FS. WT um, comes from you know focus shock wave and that produces the true shock waves. Um, whereas radial shock wave, if you were to look at the, if it's actually not a true shock wave. Um, it doesn't produce um, high pressure over a short period of time. It doesn't have um, a negative phase, which is referred to as a, a tensile phase, where we get cavitation. So, um, strictly speaking, if a physicist was to compare the two, the two um, impulses, he would say, well, you cannot call that radial shock wave because it's not a shock wave. Hence why um, we started to use the terminology of radial um, pressure wave. Um, in America, because um, no, well, I've got to be careful. Um, <laughs> they, um, uh, they they use the terminology acoustic wave therapy, but which again, uh, you know, describes well what what the what the um, what the therapy um, is doing. Um, so, and then you've also got uh, just to confuse things um, a little bit further, linear focused shock wave. Um, so instead of focusing the energy to 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 a point, they're, they're getting true shock waves, that, but they're putting it in in a, in a linear format so that, that they can have a, a true shock wave spread over a over a larger area. Um, the thing with this is is it doesn't penetrate very deep, so it's very good for um for for um treating superficial um dermatological um conditions and superficial trigger points um they also use it in um erectile dysfunction yes okay yeah i've heard of that i think i think that so so what we're really saying is a few terms which are all um well not helpful for the users out there but what we're really 95 percent of the marketplace across the world is radial pressure wave in, in effect isn't it otherwise known as radial shock wave. Yes. Um, yeah. And then the few of us have gone the extra mile and bought focused, but but most of most of that is um, due to the fact that we've been at it for four or five years and decided that, you know, we, you know the, the, the types of conditions we might want to treat are a little broader with focus because you need a higher energy for treating those conditions. Yeah. Um, so should we just, should we move on to the, if, if, I mean, the other thing I wanted to tackle was that, which I tackled with Paul Hober a little bit actually, but he, um, what you know a lot of people say you know when they get a, a machine like ultrasound back 25 years ago was if you didn't really know what was going on or if you didn't know what to do you're going to basically plug it in and wipe it over us you know wipe it over the saw bit and hope for the best and yeah. I, i'm really concerned that shockwaves are becoming a bit like that which is everything that saw stick shockwave on it and i think that belittles it a little bit and undermines the evidence base that is truly there so can you can you just talk us through if you had to pick you know your your best conditions that you wanted to use this on yeah. Um, what what would those conditions be, Cliff? Yeah, um, 
again, uh, I'll start with you know true evidence-based practice, which is support in the in, in in the literature. But I'm I'm also a big advocate of anecdotal evidence. What we what we see with our eyes, and I'm sure many therapists are out there um, that that, um, that 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 treat things that perhaps not necessarily supported by clinical evidence, but no, they no they work. But. But um, so let, let's start with an evidence base, and, and there's two international scientific advisory bodies on this. There's the International Society for Medical Shockwave Therapy, that's the ISMST, and Digest, um, which uh, is for for German speaking countries. And, and based on the most con- contemporaneous studies, they advise us that we can um, uh, what we can and cannot use. Um, um, extracorporeal shockwave four. Um, there's good quality randomized control studies as well as strong empirical evidence to support the use of uh, extracorporeal shockwave for chronic tendinopathies, um, in, including um, um, all, all your sort of lower limb tendinopathies, um, your upper limb tendinopathies, including rotator, rotator cuff um, with calcific deposits. Um, treatments for for um, dermolo- dermatological conditions, uh, wound healing, psoriasis, um, scar tissue, and bony pathologies are only applicable with focus shockwave. Yeah. Um, now, focus you can use both focus shockwave and radial pressure wave um, to address myofascial conditions such as trigger points. Um, your your deep-seated myofascial trigger points, which are not perhaps easily uh, palpable, um, um, you, you can diagnose with focused um, shockwave um, and, then, and then be able to, 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 to treat them. Um, there's also good evidence for radial pressure wave and increase in extensibility of can the time. Sorry, the Cliff, can I, just, yeah. can I just stop you there? Because one thing that we've just um, missed upon it occurred to me is yeah. the difference between the focused and the radial. Because you mentioned yeah. about almost using it as a diagnostic tool, which is really important because actually I use that on, because it's about the depth of penetration. So can you just yeah. cover that, the difference between the two as well, about depth of penetration as well as just energy levels? Yes, yeah. So so focus shockwave, as I mentioned earlier, focuses the energy. And, and, and um, you... You, you're, the, the, the focal point will be around five or six centimetres um, of, of depth. Now, um, we'll perhaps talk about this later, about the different forms of generating a focus shockwave. But they have different focal areas. That's the treatment area around that focal point. Um, so certain um, um, focus shockwave machines, you can get a depth of, a therapeutic depth of penetration down to about 12 centimetres, so, so very deep. Whereas radial pressure wave, the, the energy... Um, the maximum energy is at the skin, and then it attenuates as it as it travels down into the tissue. Now, um, what kind of what kind of depths are noted for those? So I know I, I know the answer partly, but for people that are listening, you can change applicators and you can slightly modify. But what are the average depths we're looking at with radial? Yeah, so this is you know an an, an important um, consideration for people, and we'll touch touch on this um, uh, later, I'm sure. But um, the, the 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 quality of, of your transmitter determines how much energy goes into the tissue, and the amount of energy goes into tissue determines the depth of penetration. Now, 
with um, with radio pressure wave, you're using a projectile to hit a transmitter. And when the projectile hits the transmitter, it produces um, a high frequency um, ultrasonic uh, waveform. Um, and this produces shock waves and cavitation, but at a very, very superficial level. So with a standard transmitter, you'll get a depth of penetration of about five millimeters. Um, but the deeper effects you, 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 you find with radial pressure wave come from low frequency sonic waves. Now these are pressure waves and they've been measured um, as, as low as seven and a half centimeters into the tissue. So quite deep. Okay, fine. And I think when you do your training as well as I, I do mine, we sort of teach that concept because most people will end up buying radial devices and the, yeah. the heads that you can buy uh, will determine the penetration depth and also you can with the machines ultimately you can play with two things can't you the bar pressure and the frequency and the less yeah. the less of the frequency is is the, the the more depth if you like as a possibility along with combining it with increasing bar yes it's um it's, uh, this is what the salespeople will will, will 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 come and talk about they'll talk about the bar pressure which is the pressure within the barrel of a of a radial pressure wave machine and they'll talk about the frequency the frequency is the number of times that a valve will open and open and close to let the compressed air into the barrel um now you're not going to find anything in the literature that suggests that frequency makes any difference Yet, anecdotally, um, clinicians find that the higher frequency you use, the more tolerable patients find the application of, of shockwave. Mm. Um, whereas um, the, um, the amount of the, the energy coming out of the transmitter is the most important consideration. Um, because you can get um, two manufacturers with the same amount of bar pressure and the same frequency. But if their their transmitters are made of different different material or different shape, different design, the amount of energy coming out of the transmitter will be different. So it's a bit like me, um, you know, taking a, a, a sort of a toffee hammer, if you like, and and striking a piece of steel, and using the same amount of pressure, um, striking a piece of foam. So I'm putting the same the same amount of contact into both materials, yeah. but the amount of energy that's going to come out of the steel is going to be a lot more than the coming out of the out of the foam. Okay, so, that's a, that's an interesting point, isn't it? So do you do you not when you're doing your courses do you not suggest do you not suggest a certain amount of frequency? Uh, so do you not think that there is a certain change in frequency that would give a certain change in depth of penetration? So, so no, the, the the depth of penetration isn't isn't necessarily um, um, changing the depth of penetration, but it's changing the the, the 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 pressure. So the way I liken this um, is to consider um, low frequency as bass music in 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 sound. Mm-hmm. So if you were to um, 
go to your sort of raves and your music um, um, concerts. I want to say discotheque, but I'm sure most of your listeners... I'm with you on discotheque. I'm wouldn't, with you on that. Wouldn't, wouldn't remember discotheques um, <laughs> like, you, like you and I. But if the, if, the, if, the, if the DJ was to keep the volume the same, but turn up the bass music, uh, the, 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 so the, the bass element of the, of, of the music, which is low frequency, then you actually feel this sort of vibrating through through your through your through your body sure. okay, so that it's it's that i don't want to say i don't want to use the word penetration it's just more force okay like. all right fine all right um so the other the other questions we always get asked when we, we run our, our the courses that we run certainly i do is that you know i i do work you know i've stated this on the one before i do work for for ven i, I do my teaching on behalf of them in stores um, yeah. And people are always very keen, you know, to take you off to the side in a, in a, in a coffee break. And yeah. say, well, I've, I've heard about this company and I've heard about that company about, and yeah. so forth. And, and, you know, there's no point skirting around it as long as we both say, look, you know, you work for DJO, which is, uses Stortz equipment. But there are other companies out there. Um, what, what, as a general rule of thumb, you know, I know what I say, but what, yeah. what, what do you say to people out there that are thinking about buying into this technology? Okay, so this is so. Yeah, like like you, I get I, I, I get that asked this question regularly. Now, I consider myself as a, as an educator. Um, I deliberately uh, I do work for a, a commercial company, but that's an excuse that that I, I I can I can spread best practice around around the world. Um, and 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 my my one rule is that I don't want to know the prices of their machines. Um, I openly say to people at the beginning of a course, I'm not a salesperson, I'm not here, I'm not on commission, I'm not on bonus, I'm, I'm going to simply tell, 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 tell you the facts. Now, obviously, working for a, a commercial company, they've got they've got pictures of the Chattanooga machines up, so Chattanooga get brand awareness out of it, okay? Yeah. So, I, but I'm, I, I don't think it's fair to recommend, so I never think it's fair to recommend one manufacturer over another, especially as clinicians uh, have their own criteria when, when, when purchasing. But, but the, the, the thing that I, I, I say to them, as I alluded to earlier, okay, the most important consideration when buying a radial pressure wave machine is what is the energy and that's called energy flux density or EFD. That's what they're going to read about in the literature. What is the energy flux density admitted from your transmitter? And if a salesman can't, can't answer that question, then I, I advise them to, to steer clear from, from that because that is what's giving the therapeutic um, value to, to the patient. Um, I, think, I think there are, there are you, you see that occasionally in the literature about, about that, but I think some... Some companies are slightly more honest about what their machine delivers, and some some machines, well, other machines are not, or manufacturers aren't so much, are they? No, no, and, and, and I mean, you know, there's 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 manufacturers jumping on the on the on the uh, on the um, genuine interest in shockwave, and quite rightly because it is a, a, a well evidenced. Um, um, Based um, modality, um, so uh, you know there, there are there are there are cheaper and cheaper machines being produced. Um, electromagnetic. Um, so sorry. So I should just say that that with radial pressure wave, you you produ you produce. Um, um, the, the, the pressure within the barrel from, from a compressor, which can be an oil compressor or an air compressor. An air compressor is always best to buy because they, they don't require sort of servicing um, in, in a way that oil compressors do. But um, there, are, there are Chinese manufacturers now promoting electromagnetic form of, of 
producing uh, a radial pressure wave. Now, currently, I'm not aware of one piece of clinical evidence to su support the use of electromagnetic to produce um, a, a, a radial pressure wave. And I've actually spoken to the you know, Chinese manufacturers when I've, when I've been lecturing over there, and not one of them can tell me the EFD of their transmitters. So, uh, you know, I tend to steer people away from, from but that. But, Cliff, they're, a, they're a third of the price, and that's quite compelling. Well, that, if you're well that's, a, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, look, if, if, if you're buying a, a shockwave because you want to put on your website or whatever your marketing material that your your practice has shockwave that's what you're buying as far as i'm concerned yeah, okay? yeah. I, I i'm 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 into you know i'm more interested in in in, in clinical outcomes and supported by by um, evidence-based practice and you know if you look at the evidence then then the evidence is 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 using you know radial pressure wave or, or focus shock wave but you know the radial pressure wave being being produced by by an air compressor so sure okay all right okay so um, now, another, another, just let me say because there's another i think this is quite an important consideration for for people as well from a from a safety aspect um is is that 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 low frequency sonic wave i i, I talked about um produced by the transmitter not only travels into your patient's tissue, but also back back into the handpiece. Okay, so if you're holding this handpiece, um, that low frequency can come come into your fingers. So it's important to check that the handpiece passes the EU Medical Device Directive, which is ninety three slash forty two stroke EEC, which has been um, observed to prevent white finger. And that's a painful condition which which um, affects um, your 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 hands. Um, so some manufacturers um, have to put in their handpiece not to use their um, handpiece for more than twenty minutes at a time and a maximum of two hours per day. And and handpieces which are made solely of steel are particularly sus uh, susceptible to this. And obviously they're 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 they're, they're cheaper handpieces, so. Um, you can see why sort of um, um, people will do that. But, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, they the main considerations um, um, to look at when you're when you're looking at radial pressure wave. The choice of focus shock wave is just slightly less complicated. There's, there's three ways of generating a focus shock wave. There's electric, there's something called electrohydraulic, or or, or, or a spark discharge. Um, it's a bit like the, the spark plug in your car, and you can imagine sort of putting that against your skin um it'd be quite uncomfortable so um that that's um likely to require a, a local anesthetic and and if you've heard patients sort of say oh you know i've heard or read that shockwave's you know very uncomfortable then that's more to they're probably had or reading about um electrohydraulic and that's 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 uh, that that form of generation is popular in, in lithotripsy the two, the two main um, types of generation that we use in clinical practice um, is, is the, you've got the choice between um, piezoelectric and electromagnetic. Now, piezoelectric uses those piezo um, crystals that we use in therapeutic ultrasound heads, uh, which produce ultrasound. Um, but they use um, hundreds of these, and some manufacturers have a double layer, so they could have thousands of these crystals in a, in a, in a, in a dome or a comb, 
cone, if you like, um, and they accumulate the energy um, deep within the in the tissue. And because the energy is spread over a larger area when it's transmitted through the skin, it's it's much more comfortable. Um, but um, the 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 on the, that's on the plus side. On the on the, perhaps the negative side, it only produces a very very small focal point. The focal point can be anywhere between two to five millimeters so it's quite small so you have to be very precise in your in your in your placement the precision of your of your treatment is is, is important and and a, and a fellow um, colleague uh, um, lectures from 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 norway talks about his two best friends um, one being his um, focus shock wave the second being his um ultrasound imaging machine and he uses the two in conjunction to make sure that he gets the best the best placement because um, you, you know you need to be sort of quite um quite precise um with with, with with your placement so that sort of adds in an additional you know cost but also the you know an area of expertise where you you're able to to, to read the ultrasound um imaging um uh, you know uh, again, on a you know uh, on a down note, but, but I'll address that. But is that piezo crystals do nature? Sorry, do denature over over time. So over the life of the handpiece, the the the, the power output does gradually sort of um, diminish. But on a, on, a, on a positive note, um, piezo crystals are, are cheap to produce, um, so the handpieces tend to tend to be cheaper. Um, the two main players in the focus shockwave market, um, they choose to use um, electromagnetic technology. Now, this is a bit like um, your loudspeakers or your, you know, your, your music speakers you use at, at home, um, where, where you'll put an electrical current um, through a diaphragm which, which um, vibrates, creates sound. That's those sound waves are, are reflected into the tissue by something called a paraboid um, um, reflector. And again, uh, it's spread over a larger area as it enters the skin, so it's comfortable um, and then accumulates to to a focal point deep within the tissue. Um, the advantage is is that it, it has a much bigger focal area. Um, than you get with piezoelectric, so so you um, you don't need the need to be quite so precise in your in your placement. And we on that on that note, we I know that um, I know that I've got one of those. Um, do you, do you yeah. use that as well as radio in your practice, Cliff? If you're still doing some. Yeah. So 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 like you like you said earlier, James, is is that a lot of um, therapists, you know, because it is a it's a you know it's a capital expenditure for for, for the practice. Um, but the a lot of people put their toe in the water, if you like, with with radial pressure wave. And once once they um, once they see see the results, then they um, then they sort of will, will invest then into 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 focus shockwave. But it doesn't mean to say that they set aside their radial pressure wave because there's a big move now, and this was advocated by people like Marcus Gleitz in in his paper of 2012 and 2015 that that the combination of the two work really well to well together yeah uh, radial radial pressure wave is very good for increasing extensibility of tight calf muscles for treating uh superficial myofascial trigger points where your focus shock wave is good for getting the deeper myofascial trigger points but the 
the, you know, the cystic changes within a, a chronic tendinopathy. Right, okay. People have also, they say to me, you know, is it becoming, is it going to be another fashion? Is it going to be like ultrasound was or some of the other things that you can plug into the wall? I mean, my view on this when I got you to come up with me five years ago was that I could, I could just see the, the exponential increase in, in, in the research and evidence base for this. Um, yeah. So over over the last five years, with this increase, I mean, do you, do you see it um, continuing to grow? And and what are the what what's the evidence suggesting that we do with this now? Okay, that's a, that's a great question, actually. So let me start with a quote from um, Dry Silker in 2015, German orthopedic surgeon. He said, "No other conservative orthopedic treatment has had so many independently validated." validated studies, primarily from the university sector, the shockwave. We, 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 we seriously have researched um, um, shockwave to death. We know it works. Where we have the issues and what um, authors are all agreed on is that is that we, we don't have any um, heterogeneous um, studies. So, the, so we've got different different ways of generating focus shockwave. We've got different energy values coming out of transmitters in, in radial pressure wave. We've got authors using different protocols to treat the same thing. So in order that we can start having better meta-analysis um, in, in, in the literature, we, we need to come up with an optimal protocol. Now that optimal protocol um, was suggested by um, Schmitz et al. Uh, in 20, 2015, having sort of reviewed 326 different different articles across a, a, a range of, of pathologies. Um, but um, the first published studies pertaining to, to MSK, as I said earlier, was, was to do in, in, the, in the 1990s. Um, and, and, and as you said, exponentially, they've increased over, over the past five or even 10 years. Um, so, so we now have a lot more systemic reviews and meta-analysis published. Um, but as I say, it's very, very difficult to get this meta-analysis um, due to the different types of, of, of generation of, of, the, uh, of, of the different extracorporeal shockwave. Um, but um, that paper I mentioned by Smith itself has, has shown that it's, it's proven as an effective, safe and non-invasive treatment option um, for, for treating tendinopathies. And if we look at the evidence for things like urological conditions such as Peyronie's disease, chronic pelvic pain syndrome, erectile dysfunction, all been shown to benefit from, from focus shockwave in, interventions. Um, and I'll just um, talk about that um, erectile dysfunction because I always get sort of asked about this um, and, and therapists wanting to um, uh, use it as a treatment. Um, the, uh, the, the evidence supports uh, the use of uh, um, extracorporeal shockwave for erectile dysfunction with a, with vascular disorders. So I always insist that that you get a urologist involved, you know, in, to ensure that we get correct diagnosis and, and prescription. Okay? Yeah. Um, there's a. There, 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 there's been a recent study by Cisler et al. Uh, 2018, it was published, I think, March, um, that, that 
that demonstrated the positive results of focused shockwave to expedite acute muscle trauma. This was done in, in uh, animal trials, and, and the, the research is still in its infancy, but it's, 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 it's worth keeping, a, keeping an eye on. Um, I think the big debate, though, James, is, is between exercise and shockwave. Yeah. Um, I'm just on my way to sort of um, Australia, and we have a lot of lot of keen researchers um, over over there on tendinopathies advocating exercise. Um, my my uh, my my take on that, Cliff, yeah, is that yeah. I I find it a bit confusing in a way, and I think that sometimes research can do this. Where I'm not suggesting egos get in way, but it, yeah. but it, it does seem so adversarial that people then yeah. pitch certain interventions against others and you get this huge yeah. you know exercise graded loading program that's all we need to do shockwave yeah. isn't as good as it so therefore we're not going to consider shockwave or vice versa you negate the lazy therapist that says you know shockwave yeah. is the answer there's no point doing any graded loading programs blah but yeah. why, why, why on earth can't can't clinicians be trusted to choose what's best for the patient between so and what's likely that you know is the yeah. is this patient going to be adherent to the program great let's yeah. really go for graded loading program and if it stalls yeah. if it doesn't yeah. really work out let's add some shockwave in and that, that's the sort of general you know clinical decision making that all experienced and good therapists should be doing really yes uh, i mean uh, I, I don't think it's sort of ego so much but uh, but research just getting a bit blinkered in their, their their own sort of speciality, and and, and, and perhaps when they when they're doing their um, reading around the subject, perhaps perhaps just concentrate on on you know exercise for example, or or, or shockwave, and not looking at, at the combination. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use um, uh, one of the most cited. Um, pieces of, of literature, Cook and Purdom, 2009, on the, on the continuum um, theory on, on, on tendinopathies. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a great model. Um, and, and they suggest that the exercise interventions are most effective in the reactive stage of tendinopathy and become less effective the more we move towards um, um, uh, tendon disrepair and, and time we get to a degenerative tendon which face it um, is where we you know generally see most of our patients yeah. suggest that exercise prescription um, 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 won't work and in a, in, a, in, a, in a follow-up paper 2016 they went on then to add in reactive on um, on um, um, dysfunctional uh, oh sorry degenerative tendons um, and then said we should start shifting sort of sideways then and just just looking at, at, at pain modalities but um, but but so I mean there is good strong quality evidence to support the use of a graduated loading strategy for chronic tendinopathy and Manny Babo um, in 2015 actually sort of um, said that that um, the, the quality and quantity of evidence for shockwave matches that for a graduated loading strategy in the lower limb. So if you bought into one, why can't you buy into the other? Absolutely and, right. And my argument, my, my argument is not it's not a choice between shockwave and exercise prescription. Yeah. It's a combination of the two. With shockwave, you're influencing things at a cellular level. You're getting the cell to produce more building material, if you like. That building material is put onto the building site, the, 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 the injury 
site, and then you're going to influence that new, those new collagen fibres with your exercise prescription. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way. Of, that's a great way of summarising that, actually, Cliff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I use a sort of building site analogy that you know you have your you have your, you, you get your building materials on site first, and then you get your 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 builders in to use those materials to build whatever type of property it is that you're you're, you're you're trying to build. Yeah, sure. Um, and and so that's supported in the in the literature when you you know, look at things like Achilles tendinopathies and, and, and patella tendinopathies. Oh, okay, fine. And if you, yeah. so, if we if we draw draw this to a close, and yeah. um, you you had to pick your 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 three three best patients that were candidates for using Shockwave in terms of conditions, age, uh, you know, other other aspects of activity. If you had your three best patients that you wanted to uh, treat with, what what would what would those three people have, and what what would you say about yeah, that? Yeah, the, the majority of of the literature. Um, um, is is on plantar fasciitis and um, Achilles tendinopathies. Mm. Um, so those those the the, 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 the two go to things. But um, and and for 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 me then moving on to um, rotator cuff. Oh really? Oh that's interesting. Yeah. I mean yeah. I, I found. And also uh, you know I'm only allowed three. You said I get good results <laughs> with lateral epicondylitis as well. But if you where want, where are you at? Because three. I I started looking at. Um, Greater trochanteric pain syndrome about a year ago, yeah. and yeah. I, I have to say that before I even got my focus using the different applicator for uh, a deeper sort of deeper or more energy into the yeah. tissue as such with my my storts that they have a, you can get some amazing results with those because for yeah. for me anyway the sort of population group you get with that condition far more many women than men yeah, and sure. of, of a, the, the middle ages then you know yeah. i know that there is i mean i always try and combine it with graded loading programs and so forth because we've got a, an excellent yeah. physio you remember here tom um yeah. but there, there's some some demographic groups are just not very compliant with graded loading programs no. and actually if you can get if you can get someone sleeping on their side with gtps over yeah. two or three treatments and they sleep better my goodness the progress they make i've, I've found that personally so that's that's become my number three over over pf and, um yeah I, i'm perhaps seeing a different type of clientele but what, what i need to sort of say on that is is that you know benjamin at Tal's work you know they talk about the enthesis organ and this is important over greater trochanter but also over um insertion of achilles tendinopathies that an enthesis organ is is um, the tendon, the bone, and the bursa, and you need a differential diagnosis. Because if we go back to to um, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, you know, uh, uh, in in the nice guidelines, they they talk about trochanteric bursitis. You're not treating a trochanteric bursitis. No, no. But we, you're, I think, the, the world has moved on a bit from that. Insertional, hasn't yeah, you're treating an insertional tendinopathy. Now, if you've got a true bursitis without any sort of tendon bone involvement, then then actually um, shockwave can make that 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 worse. Hmm. Right. Okay. Because shockwave is a pro-inflammatory. And yeah. Sure. Obviously, you've got an inflamed bursus. But I, I, you know, I, you know, when you when you look on, um, if you're bored one day, which I often am, um, and you Google Im Google image trochanteric bursitis, or in the same way that olecranon bursitis comes in and smacks you in the face, you know, you 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 do see those. <laughs> you just think that's unmistakably a big bursa that's hanging off the trochanter. They don't sort of sneak up on you, but um, 
But anyway, I think most of the ones we see in practice are just tendinopathies. But I think what we might do is get you back at some other time. So I think I think that um, I, I I've also known you've done some some work with um, Professor Tim Watson on this, haven't you? And helped him write uh, some some chapters in his new his new book that he's coming out with. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's actually with the publisher Elsevier now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that a yeah, is that a general electrotherapy update as such? Yeah, so, so that's his 13th edition of, of um, his um, electrotherapy update book. But this time, um, in order, because electrotherapy is not strictly true, for example, shockwave is a mechanotherapy. So, so um, uh, the, the title will be something like Electrophysical Agents, the Evidence-Based Practice. Okay, fine. All right. Okay, well, look, look I, I'll go out and buy the book for sure, just for helping me out on the podcast today. Cliff, this has been even I, I've, I've learnt a great deal myself today actually especially on how you explain things using metaphors I think that's useful for people out there um, and hopefully they've, they've learnt something about the different types of energies and different types of machines and exactly what we're trying to achieve with this um, so thanks very much and uh, we might get you back into another podcast at some point later on in time yeah I look forward to that greatly James it's always a, always a pleasure to chat to you thanks a lot Cliff cheers